couple of other announcements that um, I wanted to share with you uh, before we get into the lesson is kind of give you a heads up what the next few months are going to look like. So this is uh, the last Sunday of January. We have February, March, and April, and then we're done meeting on Sunday nights until uh, after summer. And in that, there's going to be some transitions. Um, so Amber's due date for our baby is February 6th, though so there's a high chance. Yep, yep, praise God for that. There is a very high chance, and we're planning and acting as if this is her last night at Hype for the spring semester. Um, and so with that, I don't know if you noticed, we have some new faces in the room. So when I say your name, please stand up. So to help cover 8th grade high school girls small group, Chrissy Funk is going to step in. And her husband, Kevin Funk, is going to be here as well to help out. He's going to help out 8th grade high school boys. So he's going to be with Matt um, as 8th grade high school boys small group leader. They're going to be here for the month of February. They're going to be here um, while Amber and I... Um, may not be here for, I might not be here for a couple weeks. Amber's done for the rest of the semester as she cares for her child. Um, and then when they're done serving in February, uh, Mackenzie, Ricky, is going to step in for eighth grade high school girls for March and April until um, Amber comes back during summer events and things like that. Um, I hope to be here as much as I can. I might have to miss a Sunday night or two, so if I'm not here the next couple Sunday nights, that is why, because that means either Amber has gone into labor that weekend and we are at the hospital, um, or I'm trying to um, recover some sleep after a very sleepless first couple nights. Um, so that's just kind of some transitions, things that are happening um, for us as a student ministry for these upcoming months as we finish out our spring semester here at Hype. All right. Question, who in here enjoys learning about history in school? Who in here enjoys history? We got a couple history buffs. Some people enjoy learning history. Um, who in here thinks that learning about history is kind of boring? Kind of boring? Really boring? Uh, do you fall asleep in class because history is so boring? <laughs> a couple of you, <laughs> several of you. <laughs> Hey, I also will admit I fit into that category. Um, there's a guy named George Santana, a Harvard professor, philosophy professor, once wrote this about history. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. History, even though it might seem boring at times, plays an important role in learning from previous mistakes. If we avoid learning about history, we then may make, may make the same mistakes as those who lived before us and the same mistakes that we've made previously in our own lives. In the section of 1 Corinthians that we'll be talking about tonight, uh, Paul brings up a history lesson from Israel's past so that the church at Corinth would not make the same mistakes as the Israelites did in the Old Testament. So if you have a scripture notebook with you, please meet me in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. If you do not have a scripture notebook, I will have the words, the verses on the screen. 
But before we start reading verse 1, I want to give some context tonight to kind of give this a big picture. Over the past couple chapters of 1 Corinthians that we've gone over, Paul has addressed the issues of eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. Um, we, read, we read about that in chapter 8 uh, a few weeks ago, and then in chapter 9, Paul talks about our attitude uh, of serving others in these issues that we discussed in chapter 8. Tonight, we arrive in the last chapter that Paul addresses this issue of food sacrificed to idols in this chapter. And Paul gives some practical advice on how to love others well in this issue of food sacrificed to idols. So, with that in mind, Let's start reading 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. And as a reminder, always, with your Scripture notebooks open, make sure you have a pen out to underline anything that you might have a question about to ask in small groups or anything that sticks out to you to share in small groups because you will be asked to do either one. So, pens ready, Scripture notebooks open, verse 1 of chapter 10. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and got up to party. And let us not commit the sexual immorality as some of them did, as in a single day 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Now, let's pause here and dig a little bit deeper into this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This uh, first point that, I wanna, that we see here is that uh, we are to learn from history. We are to learn from history. In this first section of 1 Corinthians 10, we see Paul reminding the church at Corinth to learn um, from Israel's history of idolatry. Now, before we go any further, we need to understand what this concept or this idea of idolatry is. And I would write down this defi definition in your scripture notebook to uh, remind yourselves of what it is later. Idolatry is this, to worship or to give priority to anything other than God. Idolatry is to worship or to give priority to anything other than God. Now, idolatry, when it is fully present, is seen in outward action, such as the Israelites uh, when they worshiped physical idols, man-made images of lowercase g gods, false gods, fake gods that don't really exist, but they made man-made images of these gods. Their idolatry just wasn't in a physical sense, though. The Israelites also sinned in having what we call an idol of the heart or a sinful, idolatrous attitude towards things. And in this passage, the first uh, several verses that we read, Paul lists idols of the heart, such as 
lusting uh, in a sexual way, seeking satisfaction in food, or what we call gluttony, uh, seeking satisfaction uh, in other people uh, around you instead of being satisfied first in their relationship with God. And Paul puts these, uh, this list of forms uh, of idols of the heart, uh, he, he lists this, and then he says this in verse 12, and I would underline verse 12 if you haven't already. He says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. I think this is a key verse for us to remember because if someone looks back at the history of when they or someone else has failed, they find themselves and, and, and they, they realize that and they find themselves in a similar situation, they should run to God to help them in their temptation run to God where they've seen other people, where they maybe seen themselves fail in the past, when they come to a similar situation, they should run to God in their temptation. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, another verse I think it's key to highlight. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But when the temptation, with the temptation, he'll always provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Paul is saying this, when we are tempted to make something an idol or to prioritize something above God, um, oh shoot, hold on, uh, when we're tempted to make something an idol or to prioritize it above God, we need to run to God. We need to realize the situation that we are in and we need to run to God. So, I relate this concept to watching film. Am I? Nope. There we go. Maybe. Hey, there we go. I relate this concept to watching film. Who in here is an athlete or is part of something that's been filmed? Athlete, maybe you're part of a play that's been filmed or something. Anybody relate watching themselves? Yes, on TV and a recording of something? Yeah. I relate this concept to watching film of yourself. So picture a team. So like this screen, it's football season. Uh, this is a picture of football team watching film. Now, why do they watch film? They're looking back in history, right, to see maybe what they did well and what they didn't do so well, what they failed to do. They're going to look for those moments where they failed, and they're going to be like, hey, when we find ourselves in a similar situation, we don't want to fail like we did then. We want to change what we do so we can succeed and we can do the right thing. And so when we think about learning from our history, I want you to bring this image of looking at film or looking at something from your past and, and think through that of like, oh, I sinned here. This was an idol in my life here, and it failed me. So when I find myself tempted in a similar situation, instead of choosing that thing, I'm going to choose to run to God. I'm going to choose to run to God. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. So hopefully we, we see uh, and understand this concept of learning from our history in order to say no to the temptation of idolatry and say yes to glorifying God. But then there's this question that I have when we read this passage. My, my question is, is, Paul, why is idolatry such a big deal? 
why is idolatry such a big deal? And I think if we keep reading, he will expound the reason why idolatry is so serious. Idols of the heart is such a serious thing for us to understand. So let's pick up our scripture notebooks again with our pens and start reading at verse 14. Verse 14 says, So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a sharing of the blood of Christ, because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us have shared the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrifice to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Now, I just pause here and let's kind of try to explain what some of this means because that seems kind of confusing and somewhat uh, harsh. In this section, the overarching command is this, to glorify God. If I could simple, simplify the last seven verses that we just read, the last six verses that we just read, it is this, to glorify God. We see this in verse 14. So in the verse, first verse, if you haven't underlined it, I would also underline this verse. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Because where we see glorify God in the command to flee idolatry is this. If I am running away from something, am I, if I'm fleeing from something, it means I'm running towards something else. If Paul says to flee idolatry, if idolatry is on this side and I'm turning to flee, it means I'm running to something else. And that something else is God. And this is where we see the command to glorify God, to flee sin, to flee idolatry means to run in pursuit of godliness, to glorify God. The Christian, Paul says, should desire to glorify God because of what Christ did. What did Christ do? Christ paid the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is separation from God a broken relationship from the creator of the entire universe. And Jesus, being fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life in order to pay that penalty. He bore our sin, died our death. Jesus, experiencing God the Father, turning his back toward him so that one day we might experience a right relationship with God, knowing him, not with his back turned toward us, but receiving us with open arms. It's because of this, that a born-again believer should desire to glorify God. Because what happens when we choose our sin is we put an idol, uh, uh, an idol of our heart, something higher than priority of our relationship with God. We put it higher than God. We're saying that, God, I don't believe that you're good enough. I don't believe that you can satisfy me enough. I don't believe that you can love me enough. I don't believe that you're going to fulfill me enough. So I'm going to choose this other thing to bring me satisfaction that I'm looking for. And in reality, in those moments when we choose to sin, we're choosing to believe the lie that Satan tempts us with. 
the lie that he will bring us more satisfaction, more love, more joy, more good than what God has already offered you. And that's simply a lie. There's nothing better in this world than having a right relationship with God. There's nothing that compares. Paul is saying here, this is why God cares that you run away from idolatry and run to Him. Why? To glorify Him. Because He's worth it. He's so much better than any temptation that Satan can dangle in front of you. In this last section of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul will give us some advice on how to live this out practically, how to glorify God in this way. So let's finish reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Open up your scripture notebooks again, starting in verse 23, reading through chapter 11, verse 1. Have your pens ready. Verse 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the market, meat market, without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by the other person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now, in our final part of our passage tonight, that we see this main, this third point, that glorifying God, choosing to glorify God involves loving others. Glorifying God involves loving others. Now, if you weren't here this morning for Sunday morning church, Pastor Dave preached on this second half of 1 Corinthians 10 that we just read. And I highly encourage you to go back to Crosspoint's YouTube channel and listen to his sermon because he explained uh, this passage in way more depth than I am going to be able to do tonight um, due to time. And I'm just going to give you some big idea takeaways and some practical next steps. The big idea that Paul is trying to get across to the church of Corinth is this. It's not so much that the action, it's not so much the action that matters as it is the heart motivation behind the action. It's not so much the outward action that matters as much as it is the heart attitude behind the action. That matters. In the context of this passage, Paul, uh, notice Paul didn't say stop eating meat altogether. He didn't say that in the context of the Corinth church's issue. He didn't say stop eating meat altogether. He said to the Corinthians, be aware of your heart attitude to not cause someone to sin when eating meat, especially meat sacrificed to idols. In today's context, there are many things that can be an idol of the heart, and we can take the same principle that Paul uses in the Corinthian context, we can use that same principle and apply it to our everyday lives. For example, if I'm going to uh, list, uh, I'm going to list some common idols of the heart that people wrestle with today, and we're going to work through some of them. Some common idols of the heart: food it can be an idol of the heart, looking for that for satisfaction. Sports, looking for popularity, success, 
identity defined in how well we do in sports. Grades, how well we do in grades can determine our worth or our value. That's an idol of the heart. Sex, money, being accepted by others are all common idols of the heart. And there's so many more that I didn't even list. Now, what, it would, what would it look like to take Paul's principle and consider our heart and these temptations that we face in today's context? Maybe instead, I, I think it would look like, like this. Maybe instead of looking for our own satisfaction in things, we have the attitude of how can I serve someone else in a God-glorifying way? How can I love someone else instead of focusing on myself? Because in the end, our lives are meant to be lived for something way greater than just bettering our own selves. Our lives have a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I think these last verses that we read in 1 Corinthians 10 summarize this really, really well. So, I want to reread these uh, before we close our session. So, have your scripture notebooks back out as we go through these uh, before we end. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do could be any other activity that you do in your daily life. Do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, which means don't offend, don't sin against uh, anybody of any context, just as I also, I'll get it back, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And then as we close large group session, I just want you to reflect. I want you to think what are some things that I battle? Is it going to come up? Maybe. I'm sorry that we're having technical difficulties here. Here we go. I want you to think through some of these questions. What are some things that battle for top priority in my life? What are some things that battle for the top priority of my life? What can I learn about my own history or someone else's history to remind me that sin will fail me, but God will never fail me? What can I learn about my own history or someone else's history to remind me that sin will fail me, but God will never fail me? Is there an idol of my heart that I need to repent of? Something that I need to confess and ask God to forgive me and run to Him for help to overcome my temptation? Is there something there? I want you to be honest before God and really think through some of these questions. If there's one question that hits you harder than other questions, write it down. Reflect on it during this week and during small groups. I want you to be honest before God and seek Him because in the end, our purpose of life is to glorify God and to find our joy in Him forever. Not to serve self, but to glorify and serve Him. So I want you to take time this week, and really be honest before God in these areas. Ask Him, God, reveal if there's anything that competes for top priority in my life above you. I think you'll find it'll be a sweet time of communion with God as you do so. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you just for, again, your word and just what we can learn from uh, what we uh, see in First Corinthians and what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. God, I just pray that uh, we would be honest before you, really seek where we have other things that battle um, with you and, and as top priority of our life. 
God, I pray that we would re- be repentive of those things that do take precedence over you. Um, God, I just pray that you would continue to forgive us, continue to be with us, and continue to hold us close to you as we uh, desire to glorify you in our thoughts, actions, and words. We love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.